1: a confession, Tristan, that I want to send your way really quickly. Uh-oh. And and that is that for Father's Day, which, is, which happened very recently at the time of this recording, by the time you're listening to this, Father's Day is like six months ago. But at the time we're recording, Father's Day was very recent. And I bought my, hopefully eventually father-in-law, a, a good amount of whiskey because he wants to get into whiskey. And while I was at the store, I got myself some and I do not like the taste of whiskey very much, but that is not stopping me from drinking it. Cause I got a whole bunch of like fancy whiskey glasses and like things to make old fashions and things like that. So I am, I'm, I'm coming down off of it, but I'm a little buzzed right now. Sweet. And I'm, I'm wondering how that's going to impact the, the quality of my commentary on this podcast. Will it go up or down? We'll Will it go- it. <laughs> I feel like I can only go up, honestly. So we'll see. I like that. You are like uh, kind of like the people who try to
0: make themselves uh, resist poison by just like drinking it. <laughs> you're um, you're working. You're like, I'm going to force myself to like whiskey. Uh, that's the
1: exact. That's exactly right. Well, so I just get into some stuff really hard. And so I just liked the so, similar to. Uh, Emily's dad, who does not know anything about whiskey, but just likes the concept of it. I'm the same way. So I just just jumped in real hard. And I was like, I'll buy these glasses, these nice fancy glasses. I'll buy all these like mixers to make cool drinks. And then I got the actual whiskey and I was like, oh, no, this is I don't like this. This is bad. But I spent money on it, so I really should drink it. This summer, White Claw came to Canada.
0: And so oh. on much the other end of the spectrum, I'm like, now Canada is having its hard seltzer moment. Like I think you guys mm-hmm. had probably like a year or two ago. Yes. So uh, I am just knocking back White Claw. Yeah, no laws with White Claws. That's what they say. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fun. But this is a show about
1: aliens or Hi, about the everyone. lack thereof. <laughs> This is a show about aliens. Welcome to a show called It's Probably Not Aliens. My name is Scott. I know nothing. I am a dunce in this scenario, and I'm especially so because I'm a little buzzy right now, so bear with me. But Tristan, on the other hand, is not a dunce. He's a very smart boy. I'm a person who reads very fast the day before we record these shows so that I can (laughs) say something smart about things. That's right. And yeah, we're a podcast all about looking through ancient aliens and ancient astronaut theories, trying to uh, debunk or even confirm sometimes, who knows, all of these uh, theories and learn about the ancient civilizations that these stories and theories talk about. And we've got a lot of fun stuff to. This is kind of a different episode, isn't it, Tristan? Yeah, because as I
0: do these, so some of these topics are well-researched, solid, like, like there's, lo- there's a lot of stuff that's been done in this area of responding to ancient aliens. And so there's a lot of research to draw upon. Some Sometimes,
1: sometimes,
0: but occasionally I come across something that, uh, it comes down to essentially the ancient aliens guys just looked at a thing and then went, look at that, that that's an alien. Uh, and then move on, uh, without a whole lot of like explanation or any sort of way to answer why. Mm -hmm. And so when you look them up though, they also end up being things like when you research them, you're like, oh, this is the thing they said is aliens. OK. And then you look it up and it's just like a normal thing. But yeah. no one's really done a whole lot of the legwork to say that this is explicitly not aliens, which I guess is my job. Yeah. But a lot of times their argument is just, well, look at that.
1: That's weird. Must be aliens. <laughs> Must be aliens. So we've got a we've got a good selection of, of little it's like a grab bag episode. It's a little grab bag of multiple different little things that we can explore mm-hmm. and we're doing it with the power of alcohol, at least on one person's end. So, Yeah, I should have gotten my, if I had known that that was I know. a prerequisite. Um, it, it would have been <sighs> a whole new world of podcasting. That's that's because of the magic carpet. Because <laughs> we're going to talk about magic carpets in a little bit.
0: Yeah, uh, so the three, we're doing three today and yeah. I've got three different objects. Some of them are actually like very iconic within the um, Ancient Alien Movement and two of them are just like, oh, this is the thing, could be aliens. Um, <laughs> so, so the f- uh, the first one I think is one that we probably is the one that we're going into, which is the Combaya airplane. Mm-hmm. Did we find an airplane, uh, a little golden trinket of an airplane in mm. bo- near Bogota? Or uh, the other one is, did the Zapotec people have Vimana airports? They, they, mm. they brought the Vimanas in here. Ah, we've talked about Vimanas before, yeah, at the mysterious site of Monte Alban. Interesting.
1: And the other one is: Did the biblical King Solomon have a flying machine? This, these are all three <laughs> connected in a in a strange way of ancient flying technology or or something revolving around flying. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I was hoping to get uh, uh, when I was going to do a grab bag episode to grab three things that had sort of a similar theme. So, yeah. so let's talk about. Uh, the first one we're gonna get into, which is the Kimbaya
1: airplanes. Tell me about these airplanes.
0: All right, so there was a group of golden artifacts that were found in the early 1900s near the city of Bogota in the current in the country of Colombia. Research on these things have shown that uh, they were made about a thousand years ago. Wow! And that all of them are designed to look like different types of animals. There's birds. There's insects. There's All sorts of stuff. But some of them, if you are to look at them with, you know, your modern eyes, they look quite convincingly like airplanes.
1: Ah, the scariest animal of all.
0: Yeah, similar to the That Fucking Bird episode we did last time. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. uh, there's the big issue, which is that this thing looks like a bird, kind of, but it does have sort of a rounded nose. The the, uh-huh. the wings look kind of more airplane-like, and the tail is uh, vertical instead of horizontal, which, you know, as we know about birds, they do not have that. They do not have that. So Ancient Aliens takes this and says says well this must be the sign of some sort of advanced civilization because it's it's literally a gold airplane and this is where we got to see one of my favorite things ever made on ancient aliens which is where they converted the golden airplane they made a remake of it as a little remote controlled airplane (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that they could fly it around
1: uh, to show that it, uh, it was capable of flying yeah if you put an engine inside of it it's capable of flying around yeah
0: that's how you know it's an airplane and especially if you look at the thing that they made they did make a couple creative uh choices that are different from the actual airplane the actual uh mm-hmm. artifacts uh they got rid of a lot of like the detailing and stuff like that to show like to say they got rid of a bunch of swirly stuff on the wings in order to turn it into a straight airplane wing which you know sure <laughs> might be it might be something to consider selective scaling up of of the trinket yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just science uh, but like, this is based on an experiment that happened in 1994, where uh, this guy named uh, Peter Belting and another guy named Conrad Lubers, very German names. Very much so. They made a radio controlled scale model of these objects to show that they could fly. But as I mentioned, the way that it was described to me lacked some convoluted features present in the real figurines. Convoluted figures. Interesting. But they did show that, yeah, if you put an engine on something that has wings,
1: uh, and you, it can fly. Yeah, you know, it's it does remind me. Actually, I have no idea how true this is, but it's ringing bells on another documentary that I watched ages ago about tech, like alien technology or future technology, which is this idea that. If you get any object to go fast enough, technically it can fly. Like you can make a brick go flas- fast enough to fly and it doesn't have to be shaped in an interesting way. And it just, it feels very much in that, uh, pardon the pun, I guess, but it feels very much in that wing of of thought where it's like... Yes, if we put an engine on this thing, it can fly. Shock and surprise.
0: I know. But what we can do to talk about this, because it is like a little, they do look a little weird. At first glance, you're like, what the hell is this thing? This is Mm -hmm. like, if you were to look at one of these Kimbaya airplanes, the first instinct would be like, oh yeah, that looks like an airplane. Yeah. (laughs) So like, I get where they're coming from. Uh, And so their claim is that it's basically something called a out of place artifact, which is... Essentially a term for when something has been found that shows uh, a very different level of development and tries to challenge our chronology of it by some kind. Sometimes it's like, yeah, finding too advanced technology in ancient times. Mm -hmm. So there's some more like logical ones than this. Uh, Like one that I came across recently when I was just bored and reading about dinosaurs for some reason. (laughs) Uh, I found out that there's a it's still fringe, but there but like has a bit more scientific backing than this that some dinosaurs might have, non-avian dinosaurs survived
1: the asteroid impact for a few million years. Interesting. I thought you were going to talk about how there were some ancient technology in the dinosaur days. And I would have been like, hey, bud, ever heard of Flintstones? They're real. I think there's
0: an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Like one of them, like they find out that uh i think like the what's that alien what's that dinosaur called the parasaurolophus the one that's got the big like banana shaped thing coming out the back of its head oh yeah yeah, yeah. that that Hadrosaur evolved into humanoid aliens, and then they left Earth, and then humans evolved later. And, oh, fascinating! Uh, the whole joke is that the humans meet the aliens, and the aliens are like hardcore religious and don't believe. They believe that this like this region they're in was made by their creators to be just for them, and so they don't believe like there's like this fringe theory that uh, that they came from another planet called Earth.
1: Oh man! And so it's
0: like a whole metaphor about evolution being done by dinosaurs. <laughs> it's like uh, it's perfect.
1: That's- Man, I gotta watch more Star
0: Trek. Yeah, it's it's great, even when it's bonkers. <laughs> um, but a lo- yeah, but a lot of times these things show up. Another one that we probably will get into in a different episode is the Antikythera me- uh, Antikythera mechanism, which was found in the Mediterranean. It's sort of like a thing for calculating the phases of the planets and the moons and stars and stuff for astrological stuff. But yes. uh, by finding it, it did seem like it was like very far in advance of the technology
1: of the day. Yeah, I, that one's definitely come up a, a couple times on Ancient Aliens. I'd be interested to do an episode about it. Mm-hmm. So and they also go by the wonderful name of Ooparts.
0: Um <laughs> Oop arts. Oop. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. But many of them are cases where either something has gotten mixed up, like for for example, in the case of the dinosaurs, as we were talking about before, Mm -hmm. sometimes because of plate tectonics or mud or something like that dinosaur fossil will get moved from where it was originally and put somewhere else that might technically be after the dinosaur, uh, the the extinction line. Oh, I and see. Might, I yeah, see. This, this is what led people to think this is the most conventional theory is like, why are these dinosaurs after the big extinction line? And it's like, well, they might their bones might have just shifted sometime after that. Gotcha. Or it's like some sort of mistaken interpretation. Okay. Like this this case, I'm going to say, spoiler alert, this is a mistaken interpretation, but also a misunderstanding of possibly how advanced the civilization was. Like a lot of times we see on Ancient Aliens, like, oh, they couldn't have possibly have done something like this with the knowledge and tools that they had before. But that's just uh, shows that they just don't understand how resourceful
1: and sophisticated people can be. Absolutely. They, mm-hmm. they underestimate the level of advancement of these civilizations. another one that comes up very often that I don't think we've gotten into,
0: but I imagine played a role in a few of our previous episodes and probably will in the future, which is oftentimes artifacts are like locked away and they're not really super easy to get your hands on. Yeah. Or they've been destroyed uh, or something or another like that. Sure. And so fairly often... When you're doing research on archaeology, much like we are because we haven't gone to museums to do research for this show yet, we are working off of descriptions by other people. And so if there is an inaccurate description or if somebody uses language that is, you know, slightly flowery or interesting, especially if you like think about like the archaeology of old Victorian people and such then you can draw a conclusion based on their descriptions of an
1: object without, you know, actually being able to see it yourself. That's interesting. It's like a little game of telephone where yeah. you hear it from someone and you make your own interpretation and someone says some, some other way. And suddenly your multiple descriptions removed from the actual thing that you've not even uh, had a, opportunity to lay your eyes on
0: precisely so these current objects are in the gold museum in the city of bogota and they're described as being birds and insects but people will say the tail's vertical so it can't be a bird or insect but i did find out about another kind of creature that has sort of something like wings and has a vertical tail okay. and that is um
1: fish never heard of them <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, what are those? So if you look at the thing, uh, if you look at the Kimbaya, quote unquote, airplanes, and you really look at their the sort of features of them, you could come to the conclusion that it could be an airplane or it could be a stylized carving of a fish. What are fish if not airplanes of the sea. I've always said that.
1: It's true. Have you ever seen those ones that can like jump out and like they fly kind of? Yeah, they fly a little bit. They're very, I mean, like planes, fish have to be kind of aerodynamic or I guess hydrodynamic. I don't know, but- They
0: move through a fluid. You're right, actually. They
1: absolutely do, yeah.
0: Actually, there is a wonderful document. I say documentary series, but it's like, (laughs) is it a documentary? It was something called The Future is Wild. Have you ever heard of this? No, I've not. So it's a three-part documentary in which- which they speculate a basically they they take a scenario where on earth all humans and all endangered species all die and then mm. they work with like biologists and evolutionary scientists and stuff like that to kind of uh, write fan fiction and speculate about what the future <laughs> of evolution on earth could be okay oh this is sounding familiar maybe I have seen this it's it's been a while it came out a long time ago yeah but uh near the end of the series um when birds go extinct the niche of birds is taken over by fish by like flying fish that breathe air love it so good on on you fish yeah so it's one of those it's one of those things
1: um (laughs) but like yeah it's a stylized fish i'm sorry if we're going on a few tangents here no that's good we've got we've got a few things to cover but no yeah i i totally see that that's that's an interesting way to look at it that I never would have put together by critically thinking. I would have been like, yeah, it's a weird bird, but you're right. It could just be a fish. Yeah. And the thing is that these are like pieces of art. The proportions and everything
0: like that are, you know, they're exaggerated because they're made by humans. And so, and there is another one of these Kimbaya artifacts that looks like a frog, but the proportions are all crazy and it looks like that it could actually fly too. Everything can fly. But ancient aliens lets that one just be a frog, but they don't don't let the fish be an airplane. They have to, The fish has to be an airplane, but the, the weird frog can't be. Uh, sure. It's, it's just a frog. So sure. Selective choices and, you know, cherry picking and all that kind of stuff. But again, it's another case of a thing that looks like a thing because we have modern eyes and are looking at it. Like if you were to carve a fish today, probably wouldn't carve it to look like that because it looks too much like an airplane because
1: we've seen airplanes before but not so the people who actually made it a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Besides, if there were airplanes, where would they go? They would need airports and such, Tristan. Oh, someone's reading ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so the other thing too, um, this came up in the episode of Ancient Aliens where they talked about Vimanas. We did have an episode previously on Vimanas, which is sort of like a theorized flywheel-powered hovercraft uh, made by ancient... Hindus. Um, And then they were like, "Well, where are these things? Like they tried to postulate that there was this international uh, network of flying machines that like, you know, cultural exchange that didn't happen. And, you know, there's no evidence that it did. Mm -hmm. But they were like, well, they would need to be places where they can land. And so they posited that like the Nazca lines could have been airports. We can also refer back to that episode on the Nazca lines. Absolutely. But uh, then there was another one, which is a place in Mexico called Monte Alban, which they point out that because the top has been flat, because it's built on the top of a flattened mountain uh that it could be a runway mm, that is that runway. is this is literally
1: how far we're going um this is how <laughs> far their analysis goes <laughs> okay and that is it it's just that it's flat and so it could be a runway
0: yeah i guess they're kind of trying to make the argument that ancient peoples could not possibly flatten the top of a mountain um, okay that doesn't seem true to me though <laughs> yeah um but you know <laughs> um this one was like on the screen for like a total of maybe 45 seconds so it was literally again this one of those cases where it was just like they could have landed anywhere they could have landed on the nazca lines and we're like and then you have to be like um but what about and then they're like and you could have landed in monte alban look at how flat it is moving on to another thing and it's like d- wait, d- yeah <laughs> can we talk again about how you think that uh an a Zapotec? city yeah. it was an airport
1: <laughs> one second do you have any any evidence any proof of what you're oh okay we're we're already on to the next topic okay never mind i don't i don't have time to think about it yeah so yeah there's a mystery of how
0: people th- uh, flattened it uh, where all that material went how could as we're learning very frustratingly as we go through this thing, how could ancient people lift heavy stones?
1: That is the question that has been asked several times and will continue to be asked on this podcast. And there are many, many ways that people have demonstrated, but I guess it's just impossible to fathom. So mm-hmm. we're going to continue asking this question until the day we die.
0: And it was based on astronomical stuff which you know we've learned that in mexico there was a high connection between things and the stars but how could they look at the stars that how like how could they even think to do that without technology or something i don't know
1: Mm, this is
0: this happens a lot and uh i think we've talked about this before about this kind of like argument from verbosity which is just like throwing so many arguments at somebody at a time that you can't even respond to them all And if you're not really like watching it with a critical eye, you think, wow, they have such a good case. Look how many cases they have of like, Things look
1: like airports. (laughs) They can just say a whole bunch of stuff. I remember specifically in this show, they're talking about the pyramids, as they talk about the pyramids constantly, but they were talking about how it almost lines up exactly with with a compass of north, south, east, and west before the compass was invented. And like the word almost is like so clearly the thing that is that separates it from being any kind of convincing argument. Like it's almost perfectly lines up. It's like, well, if it doesn't. <laughs> perfectly line up, then then it's probably just a coincidence, huh? You think?
0: Plus, uh, if only there was some sort of, I don't know, like, star that
1: yeah, right. It was in the sky that rose in the <laughs> east and set in the west. If only there was some way to tell directions based on some glowy ball of fire in the sky. But no, you need a compass. So never mind. Yeah. Or even if you needed a
0: compass, like uh, who? no one could have thought to put a lodestone in water yeah. and look which way it goes. Anyway. Um, so, this, so Monte Alban is a place in the Mexican state of Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is based on a low mountainous range rises above the valley of Oaxaca and it was essentially the like capital city of the Zapotec Empire okay which the Zapotec Empire were just like gosh I'm really struggling with my Mesoamerican history here but uh, about two to two and a half thousand years ago they were sort of the dominant. Uh, society there at the time, and there was like you know multiple classes because like there's several layers of civilizations with all the deep history that uh, happened in this region. So pretty old place. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, yeah, the top has been artificially leveled. And the reason that it was probably built on a mountain, which, you know, would be kind of weird, which definitely means it's an airport. Right. Or it was meant for defense because attacking somebody on the top of an airport or on the top of a mountain is difficult.
1: (laughs) That is also true. That makes sense. I can't think of too many modern day. I mean, I don't fly that often, but I can't think of too many airports I've been to that have been on the top of mountains, but I'm sure I'm sure it made sense to. To some people. The thing about it that that really like when they say like oh how could somebody have flattened
0: something over time or flattened something like this. And then like you look at like how long it took for them to build Monte Alban. It seems that Monte Alban was probably first settled as early as about 500 BCE, so about 2500 years ago. But then people continued to live there and it continued to be an important part of that area and built upon and expanded for about a thousand years. Okay, so this wasn't like a two to three year project. No, no, no. This is like a region that has that was important to uh, Mesoamerica. Gotcha. And it's one of the first cities. It's one of the oldest cities in Mesoamerica. But it was there for a thousand years and was used regularly for a thousand years, which you know that's plenty of time to flatten the top of a mountain.
1: Yeah. I bet if you just walk around on something for a thousand years, it flattens it out pretty quick.
0: There's also that (laughs) it turns out if you hit rocks with other rocks, it's actually like you can break them. Uh, It takes a lot of work, but you can still do it.
1: Oh, man, you're blowing my mind here.
0: So, yeah, it was a it was the center of a large scale expansionist empire that the Oaxacan highlands like pretty much ruled the Oaxacan highlands for a long time. And they interacted with other Mesoamerican civilizations. So it's like, well, regarded, we have a lot of evidence about what these people were like, because uh, we have not only Monte Alban, but like we have like a lot of evidence of like what the Zapotec empire was like throughout its history. And if they built airports, we probably would have found some of the other ones that
1: they did that's always been my biggest critique i guess of of things about airports and airplanes is that we find what people believe to be trinkets of airplanes but we don't actually find the airplanes and we find lands that could have been airports, but no real like structures in them that that seem to support like no hangars for airplanes or anything like that. It just feels like you're just jumping to a lot of c- conclusions, you know? Yeah. And like the thing is, when they say it on the show,
0: they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is this, you know, look at this. This could be that. And then it's like, OK, but like if you ask anybody who's taken their life to study the Zapotec people. We know quite a bit about the Zapotec people. Yeah. Like, it's uh, like they're one of the more well-known Mesoamerican civilizations. And there's no indication that they invented the internal combustion engine or electricity or steel or, if I recall, even like metalworking for the most part. Like, there's a lot of like precursor inventions you need to have before you can make an airplane that were also not there. And then when you think about how this is a society that's very preoccupied with astrology and the stars, mm. and then you're like, well, why is it like all flat? And like, why are these things? Like if you have a religion that is very preoccupied with like the location of stars and planets, probably want to you know have a large uh, sky to look out into. And if you want to build... A defensible city. Building it on a mountain ridge is not a bad idea. So a lot of
1: a lot of reasons why this probably wasn't an airport.
0: No, and but but while we're on the topic of Monte Alban, I just want to point out that um, it's also uh, an archaeological site that's under threat because uh, that's that's I want to point out that it's important these things. Absolutely. Because the thing about thing about Monte Alban that makes it a little weird is that there are four different municipalities that all have part of the site in their like kind of jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And the major issue is that essentially urban expansion cities are starting to move closer and closer to Mount Albon, the site. And because there's, you know, fighting over jurisdiction about what city is going to maintain and manage it, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of like conflict trying to figure out how to get this stuff to uh, how to like protect this site while cities are getting closer to it, essentially.
1: Right. Well, the good news is that because it is built at the top of a mountain, it's a pretty defensible position to <laughs> fight this fight on. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Or? I mean, if uh, if any of those cities need a small airport, um, <laughs> I've got, got the location for you. We gotcha.
0: But yeah, that's Monte Alban. Like, it was just like mentioned really quickly and it's like a really cool Mesoamerican archaeological site that just was just briefly mentioned and then they moved on.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and it sucks that it's kind of under attack in in this sort of weird urban way. That's that's not great. Yeah. These are important places.
0: A big subplot of this uh, episode that we or the show that we do is that all of these wonderful, beautiful things that humans have made are all under threat because we just can't stop driving cars over
1: them or building cities near them or going to take pictures of them for Instagram or something like that. I am never going to any time that you tell me a tourist destroyed something, it will never cease to peeve me off so hard. Yeah. Now we could talk about flying carpets. (laughs) <laughs> Let's talk about flying carpets. All right. So here's the thing, Tristan. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me see if I get this straight, though. All right. We've talked about planes that are really fish, maybe. We've talked about airports that are just cool, flat pieces of land. But there's got to be something out there. Some sort of cool thing related to flying, related to aviation. You, you got to tell me that some ancient civilization, some ancient technology exists where people could fly. Tell me that.
0: I hate to burst your bubble. But um, oh. <laughs> according to ancient aliens, uh, flying carpets, which are a common icon in Middle Eastern and you know North African yeah. mythology, uh, are actually flying machines.
1: So okay, we're getting, getting somewhere. <laughs> I like this.
0: Now we're not going to the Middle East for this one. We're going to a place called Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and uh, we're looking at a certain book called the Kebra Nagast, which is a very holy book for the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. So I, I know, I just opened a whole bunch of doors because I know that um, knowledge of <laughs> Ethiopian religion is not exactly the most widespread thing in the world.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh.
0: But uh, so Ethiopia is one of the oldest Christian countries in Africa, and their like form of Christianity is, you know, fairly old and fairly unique. And one of the important books of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and to Ethiopians in general is a 14th century book called The Kebra Nagast. Which is sort of a national epic of Ethiopia, which for non-historians, a national epic is basically like a really, really long book that describes the history of a country. Gotcha. Now, Ethiopians and also actually Rastafarians as well make the claim that now we're going to go into some Bible stories here that there is a direct line between Ethiopia and King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we're getting into some Bible studies. Good thing I'm, I'm wearing my Sunday best.
0: And like, for example, uh, th- to this day, uh, the Ethiopians still claim that they do have the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it's in a temple that is guarded by a certain individual who like passes it down generations to generations.
1: I know there's another ancient astronaut theory that says the Ark of the Covenant is a miniature nuclear reactor. So I can't wait for that episode.
0: But uh, in the Kebra Nagast, uh, there is a scene where the Queen of Sheba receives a flying carpet from King Solomon. Mm-hmm. And despite saying that it's a flying carpet, they're like, well, if you like reinterpret words because if like you know if uh <laughs> if, if a if a throne as we saw in the book of Ezekiel episode if a throne can just be a flying object then obviously a flying carpet could be a spaceship and they just uh-huh. lacked the words to describe what it really was That's exactly right. It was the original chariots of the gods. <laughs> And, you know, flying carpets show up throughout Middle, throughout history uh, in sort of North Africa, the Middle East, and also Ethiopia. And, of course, Christianity is a Middle Eastern religion, so it came to Ethiopia. So there's obviously some cultural transfer going on here. Sure. So, uh, you know, you might be familiar with Arabian Nights, the, you know, classic. Uh, yeah, the epic. first song from Aladdin.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, flying carpets do feature in a lot of this region's myth. And there's this claim that Solomon had mountains, so obviously there are places where he would like land. these are his, you know places and they even went as far to say that uh, King Solomon used these to fly as far as Tibet. I don't know where that comes from uh, <laughs> this was this was out of everything that we've done on the show the hardest yeah. thing to dig up anything on because it seems that. It's just not a thing that like like Ethiopian religion scholars just did not step up to the plate to address ancient aliens. Okay. Experts on the Kebra Naga and also uh knowledge in the west of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is also limited
1: in a lot of ways so you let me let me see if i understand what you're saying it's possible that someone just said that king solomon flew on these as far as tibet and there's no like it's not like written anywhere but someone just said it and they're like yeah cool sounds legit i think somewhere in the kebra nagast it says that solomon
0: went very far away gotcha to the east and i guess maybe they said there are mountains because because ma- the mountains played a role in this whole thing and Tibet has a lot of mountains
1: fair enough
0: but yeah according to the Kebra Nagast the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon had a child uh, named King Menelik I who was the first sort of emperor of Ethiopia okay so and there's a references that they used flying carpets to travel to the Middle East which could be a metaphor for opening up trade or something like that but mm, like I said it's really hard to chew on this because it's just saying what if flying carpet is flying machine then it looks really impressive doesn't it <laughs> like look <like,
1: laughs> this flying." carpet. What if that was a machine? (laughs) What if that was a piece of alien technology? Anything you can point to that is like, you're, you're right. It could just be like a metaphor for something. It could just be like poetic language. It could just be a storytelling, but pointing to it, pointing to anything and being like, but what if, what if this was alien spaceship? What about that? Then Okay, sure. It sounds interesting, I guess, but you're not taking into account anything about the the historical or cultural context. So this happens way too often
0: where they're like, it says here that they had a flying carpet. Well, what if if the word carpet was machine instead? Then it looks like they're flying an alien ship. And it's like, okay. Cool. Yeah, I guess if I can change the words and things, I can change their meaning, too. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it turns out when you change words to sound cool, it does sound cool. Mm-hmm. So this is, the, this is another thing that uh, I thought was like a bit of a lesson to talk about, which is that there's this difference between documentary evidence and physical evidence. Right. Now, as a historian, we work almost exclusively at documentary evidence. It's looking at, you know, piles and piles and piles of writings to sort of corroborate what's going on and figure out the evidence. But also there's documentary evidence and then there's physical evidence. And again, where's the flying machine? Where's the where's the right. where's the carpet? Or even like a lot of this is, I don't want to step on anybody's religious beliefs or anything like that, but this is like a lot of this is like biblical era things. Sure. And so like, you you know, there's articles of faith here and like, you know, there's no skeleton of the Queen of Sheba or King
1: Solomon, as far as I know. Sure. I mean, I I grew up religious and and something that, I, I even went to a Bible college for a bit. And something that, that we learned is, That sometimes stories exist just to serve as metaphors, just to serve as guiding principles, but they aren't they aren't necessarily literal, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously people have different opinions on that, but that's just that's what I had studied in my in my field. And so it's hard for me to take stuff like this exactly literally. I think sometimes it is just uh, language to help tell a moral tale. Yeah.
0: And just like with that fucking bird, um, there would be leftover artifacts of the flying carpets, construction, maintenance, or infrastructure, as we've kind of mentioned over and over again. Yeah. One reference in one book is a massive claim, but saying something about the world does not, it, it does not do that. Yeah. I couldn't, this is the thing, I couldn't even find people debunking this. It's literally just reading into something based on motivated reasoning, as far as. I can see.
1: It's frustrating. I mean, I'm glad we get to do episodes like this where we can touch on a handful of different topics that are so small that we can, we can merge them all together into this kind of overarching theme of, you can't just take anything that you find in any historical context and then just go, but what if it was aliens? I know that you can do that. I know that you can do that. You can make a very popular <laughs> history channel show. You actually, you know what? That. I'm talking, I'm, I'm all kinds of wrong. You actually can do that. And it's pretty successful when you do that. But I think... I think if you want to look at the world in an, in a more accurate way, as, as accurate as you can, I think it I think it takes a little bit more involvement than just saying like, but I, I bet it's probably aliens, though.
0: Mm-hmm. And so this is, again, one of the cases I think we've talked about is just ancient aliens throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, what I find is that they have these instances where they just say something, give a bit of speculation, and then move on, and that they tend to move from subject to subject really fast when they're making more and more flimsy arguments.
1: Yeah. It's like a it's like a fast-talking salesman where you don't have time to really think about what they're saying. They're just saying a whole bunch of stuff that sounds kind of good and kind of interesting and they're not leaving you any sort of like breathing room to really get those the cogs turning in your head where you're like but wait a minute hold on what did you say oh never mind I'm it almost makes you feel like you're slow because they already moved on and like if you're still stuck on something then it makes you feel like oh well I'm just not as smart as them because I'm I'm still behind it's kind of a gross trick. I don't like it. And uh, there's a little line about this kind of thing that comes from the
0: person who got me into skeptic stuff back before skeptic meant something very different. Sure. But also by by a, by a uh, skeptic activist slash potential committer of wire fraud. <laughs> Uh A guy named Brian Dunning uh, said this, this one quote that I think is pretty a good explanation about this, which is that you can stack cow pies as high as you like. You're not going to get a bar of
1: gold, (laughs) but that is, um, that's my grab bag. I love it. Tristan, thank you so much. I think this was a really fun episode. If you, a listener liked this sort of grab bag episode, let us know. Uh, let us know by tweeting us at probsnotalien alien. Uh, uh, it's probsnotaliens plural on twitter and uh leaving reviews on Uh, Apple Music, wherever you can. We want those delicious, those juicy four-star reviews, if you can. And yeah, just let us know. Tristan, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, You can go to Step Back History on YouTube or Tristan P.J. on Twitter. Uh, How about you? Uh, You can find me on my YouTube channel, NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C, if you like some comic book uh, history and things like that. Uh, Or my personal Twitter, at Scott Niswander. And please, friends, tell your friends about this show. I know that I just said that we are friends, but we, Tristan and I already know about this show. Go tell your friends, your other friends about the show because it's it's really the best way that you can spread the word about, we're a very new podcast. We're on episode 10 right now, I think. So, you know, go tell people. I think this is a fun show. I enjoy doing it. I hope you like listening to it.
0: Yep, yeah, and we'll see you guys next time because the truth is out there. Probably.